Today's episode of The Beat is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Michigan and Michigan State tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download the Game Time app in the App Store or in Google Play. Work that clock to your advantage and score last-minute tickets. to another episode of The Beat, uh, with yours truly, Nick Hummer, along with Brendan Quinn. We are here in Ann Arbor. No guests this week. No guests needed this week. We're going to do something a little different. Brendan, how are we doing first? Oh, I'm terrific. Uh, I've been looking forward to dabbling in the format we're going to get into today. Yeah. Why don't you tell the folks all about yeah, it? Yeah, so we, we touched on this a little bit in the first show uh, that we did, that uh, some of the shows would be guest um, guest-driven, and some of them would be you know, where we go back and look at topics with a guest or something or just their life in general. And some of them would be topics that uh, we tell from, you know, we talk about or discuss from our perspective, uh, having covered them and um, talked to people around them at the time and things like that and kind of how they all went down. And um, so with basketball media day at Michigan happening Thursday today, Michigan State's happened Tuesday mm-hmm. um, and the season basically about to be underway here, we thought, uh, Michigan side of things here. Um, this would be a good time, to, as any, to do the the, the, the look back at the John Beeline tra- uh, leaving, mm-hmm. Juwan Howard coming in, Michigan's coaching transition, how it happened, how the whole thing went down, what precipitated it, uh, you know, the ins and outs of it that we recall, maybe things that we didn't write at the time, and then leading into where they're at today. Yeah, I'm, well, first of all, this podcast didn't exist when all that happened. No. We both have no, we yeah, both right. covered Michigan basketball. Um, you preceded me at M Live, then I came in in 2013. But um, even when you were still at M Live and we were there together, and then mm-hmm. you went to the Free Press and I'm at the Athletic, like you were still around basketball. Sure, I obviously was around Michigan basketball, and it just seemed a little silly that uh, all of this happened and we never really got to we did dive this. into one on this <laughs> thing. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, we should have called Mark Snyder for this. <laughs> <laughs> then we would have had the whole gamut covered uh, from day one. But yeah. Um, yeah, obviously, I mean, it was we've kind of touched on the how we what we were doing when it happened and everything else. Uh, and I'm sure we can t- discuss more of that as we go. But I do have an outline here. I'm also this is very professional. I'm also old enough to remember when we didn't need an outline for things like this. But this is where we're at in our lives. So we have. <laughs> I have one. I'll guide us through it. And I think to start this one, you don't necessarily have to start all the way at the beginning with John Beeline. I think a good place to start would be the summer uh, of 2018, which would have been the summer prior to this one. Yeah. And the uh, the interest with the Pistons, or the flirtation, whatever you want to call it, um, with the Detroit Pistons over their vacancy that obviously ended up going to Dwayne Casey. Um, do, we, do we think that anything, before we get into how legitimate that was, uh, do we think that anything precipitated precipitated that situation because for years Beeline's name would come up in 
random conversation you'd have with certain people about, well, I wonder what that would be like if he was an NBA coach, you know, or I wonder if it would work or uh, whatever. And my answer always tended to be in those days, like in 2013, 2012, 2014, my answer always tended to be like, the system would probably work well. The person, it would be, there's no way. Like it would just be a total mess for a number of different reasons. But as we got further along there, I sort of changed my tune on that some, maybe subtly as time went on. And from your perspective, I'm interested. When that came up, when uh, the news got out that he had met with the Pistons and everything else, how surprised do you remember being about that happening? Was there anything that you thought, okay, I can maybe understand why this is happening or why he'd be interested in it? Yeah, I mean, I with the Pistons, it was, you know, there were a number of connections sure. there. Um not only in proximity, but um, familiarity. Uh, A guy like Arn Tellum, who many Michigan connections, um, was very interested and intrigued in the idea. And obviously he has Tom Gore's ear more than uh, anyone else, along with, why am I blanking on this name? Josh Barlson. Thank you, Jesus. Um, Jay Bart, shout out. Hey, sorry. (laughs) Sorry, Josh. Um... You know, there was there were a lot of voices there in in Beeline's favor in, in terms of not only promoting him as a candidate, but also being like, this system, it's worth a shot. Yeah, let's try it. Um, and he went in, and that was a that was a drawn out process. Right. Um, and the second it you know it went public was really the the end. Yeah. Of, of what could have been, and you know, would the Pistons have ever gotten to the point of offering? John, the job, who knows? Right. But um, once it was made public and he felt the calls from players' parents and administration people and media and fans and blah, 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 that was it. And one of the interesting things that someone who knows John very well has told me about him is the second you give him too much time to overthink something... He's going to talk himself either out of a decision yeah, right. or, or whatever it may be. And <coughs> yeah. the way the Pistons operated in that space and kind of they brought him in. And it's one of those things. If you bring Beeline in, that's you it. You better ready for it. Yeah. You better make the offer because yeah. if you say, well, now we're going to go talk to Dwayne Casey. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, he's hanging in the wind. It is like that. And people are losing their shit. And yeah. he's at Michigan. And right. players are staring at him and yeah. saying, oh. It was like three days. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's right. what it felt like. And a lot of coaches would have just been like, well, whatever, man. Like, yeah. I want to see if I can get this NBA job. Yeah. And, you know, he had to pull the plug on that thing. But, I mean, I've told this story a number of times. You talked to him immediately afterward. Yeah. I talked to him basically that day or the next day. I think we talked to him on the same day. Yeah. I, or I think you talked to him the night before coming out of like an awards banquet. Something like that. And then I went into his office the next day and uh, we go back and forth and he says how much he loves Michigan and mm-hmm. God wants me here and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and when I was leaving, I go, John, you know, that's all well and good. Yeah, right. But if you get an offer next year, I think you're going to take it. And he kind of gave a look that he didn't say it. Right. But the look said everything and it was, Yeah. You know, I, yeah, yeah, and that, and I got asked about this after the fact because I had pretty much probably the same conversation with him, and some mm-hmm. of it was off the record uh, after we were done talking. But it was like, 
I think I probably even asked him on there, like, if they'd offered it to you, would you have taken it? And it was this answer that was sort of, you know, left you feeling with, like, if, if they'd offered it to me, then we would be talking at Little Caesars right sure. now and not here. Um, and that was, like, one of the first times I remember being like, all right, this he's pro-. I remember thinking this, okay, because I remember thinking he really seemed like a guy who, and I don't want to f- pretend to think that I know what he was yeah. thinking because I would never... First of all, with him, it's impossible. You can't, with anybody it is, but mm-hmm. with him it's really hard. It seemed like he was a guy in a situation who really wanted to want Michigan to be his last job. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt like he really wa- liked, wanted to like the idea that he would retire from coaching at Michigan and then do whatever else. He wasn't going to retire. I remember him being very adamant about that that day. When I retire, like, quote-unquote, I'm not going to just sit around the house. He's like, I'm going to do other things. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what that's going to be, but... He, I remember him saying specifically several times, like, this whole process had made him think about the end of his coaching career, whenever that would come, and if it came faster than he maybe originally had thought that there'd be other things he would do. Either way, I think he really liked the idea, he wanted to like the idea that Michigan was going to be his last job. But I remember leaving our conversation thinking in the back of my mind, like, it's not going to be his last job. Michigan mm-hmm. is not going to be his last job. Um, and I think part of that was... The fact that he finally had the chance to sit down, like you said, for a couple weeks and think about what it would be like in the NBA. Also, part of it was he just got done with a team in 2017-18 that he really was very close to. Sure. Uh, that he liked a lot. That was a veteran team that made you know a lot of veteran plays for him. And he, I think you know, and we'll get into this in a minute here, but those things don't come around very often. Yeah. And I think that his the way he was at that Final Four compared to the way he was at the previous Final Four... Um, obviously still devastated they lost the, the championship game but there was a sense of like there was more of a sense of uh, comfortability yeah I sensed from him at that final four than I did the first one um, the first one no he was, he was miserable. yeah I mean just from the stories I've heard he absolutely. was miserable I mean yeah. he was he was not comfortable he was not he didn't like it I mean he was excited that they were there but it, miserable is probably a strong word but it was very awkward for him and, and being I mean, he was still at the time when he would have preferred you know Ann Arbor to uproot itself and go be in like wherever Canisius is, mm-hmm. and so no one covers him and no one talks about him, and they just, you don't know who John Beeline is until he plays in the tournament or something. Uh, but he was very uncomfortable with the whole thing, didn't really didn't really seem to enjoy it. Uh, and not that he maybe enjoyed it all the way through, but I also remember, uh, so the crazy part about the Final Four is the, one of the things you can do in those football stadiums is you can go into the tunnel before the game, and you can stand outside their locker room mm-hmm. as they come out. And before the national title game that night, I went, I don't know why they let you do this. This seems ridiculous to me. But you can literally walk down there and stand outside, if you have a credential, stand outside their door and walk basically neck with them Mm -hmm. all the way down the tunnel, into the court, the whole thing. You can walk with them. And I stood there and waited and waited because I wanted to see Bielan come out. And he looked, I mean, he always looks similar when he comes out. But there was, the, there was the normal sense that you get from a guy that, you know, he knew, obviously, you know, okay, I'm going in. I know what I'm going into here. I know what I'm doing when I'm walking this aisle. I've prepared this team as best I can. Now we're going to go do this thing. And there was, it didn't see. He seemed so comfortable. Mm-hmm. He was, like, talking. We were, he was talking to me. Yeah. Just chatting. Like, how, how's it going? How's the week been? Everything else. Yeah. And, you know, just <laughs> pretty good, I guess. How are you doing? You know, like, and he just, there was this part of me. I remember even then, like, what if this is his last time? Mm-hmm. What if this is it? And, you know, I think that maybe he knew, maybe this is the last time I'm doing this. Right, and uh, I think if I look back on it now, I think that uh, maybe maybe Josh and some others maybe sensed some timing and took their shot, and then that got him thinking, and then away we go. Like you said, I mean, once it gets into his mind, now it's possible. Yeah, yeah, and the 
the real twist in all of this, I, I maintain, is that in an alternate universe, mm-hmm. say he gets the Pistons job. Yeah. Well, so what was it? Six weeks later, he had heart. He has yeah. the heart. Yeah. The the heart issue. Upside down heart attack. Yeah, he he needed a surgery. needed yeah. a bypass. Sorry. Yeah. Um, if he had taken the Pistons job, he would have canceled his annual stress test. Yeah. yeah he would have been working. 15 hours a day watching NBA tape and blah, 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 right. And probably would have had a massive freaking heart attack. Yeah. And it's just, it's crazy when you think um, what, what might have been yeah. and on all of that. Um, you know, he's a religious guy and I'm pretty sure yeah. he probably imagines that as, as a godsend. So um, that part's crazy. But then last year, the biggest thing that surprised me, I always get asked that, were you surprised he left? Were you surprised he left? Mm-hmm. Were you surprised he left? I'm not surprised he took an NBA job. I'm not surprised he went to Cleveland. I'm not surprised he left Michigan. Yeah. The thing that I was surprised most by this time was that he got an offer yeah. at 66 coming off bypass surgery by a team that wants to rebuild and probably needs to be looking at a three, four, five year plan. Right. You just in today's day and age, you just don't imagine a 66 year old yeah. coach being hired in that spot. So I was more surprised by the Cavs, right. not by Beeline. Yeah, but you know with. The same ties that John had to the Pistons, he had right, to. Yeah, and we'll get into that to we'll, the Cavs. We'll get into that in a second. Before we get into the last season in general, I still want to yeah. stick. The last thing I want to touch on in that summer of eighteen, sure, because um, I don't think you can go get out of it without bringing this up because it's going to come back up later when we're talking here. He was the day I talked to him after the fact. He was very um, outwardly complimentary of Ward Manual, yeah, in how Ward Manual handled the situation. In that Ward Manual, and anyone who knows Ward um, is is a pretty. I'll, I'm going to let you think, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to bother you. I'm going to let you. I'm not going to. You know, I'm your boss, but I also want what's best for you, kind of thing. I want you to be happy with what you're doing. And I remember Beeline saying um, that Ward had offered him the new contract, and Beeline gave it back to him. Yeah, and said, "I can't sign this because I've got this thing with the Pistons," and there was no pressure on on the other end of. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to know, you know, there was none of that. Ward, I, per Beeline saying this, yeah. was very calm and said, you take as much time as you need. This thing's always going to be here. Uh, and if there's anything else we can add onto it, you let me know. But the contract will be here for you when you need it. I'm not going to put a gun to your head and say, right. I got to right. know right now. This is May or whatever date it was. And I remember him just going out of his way several times when we talked, saying, I was blown away at how... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ward handled the whole thing. And it wasn't from a place of, boy, I got to hype up my AD. It was a very genuine, you know, you, sometimes you can tell when Beeline's talking about something that's like, well, I got to say this because I got to say it. <laughs> right. And then sometimes right. it was, you know, he just, you know, him and I talking and he was like very impressed. Yeah. He was like, that was, it meant a lot to me. I remember him saying that, like it meant a lot to me that Ward understood the, the situation, the process, everything else. Beeline gave him the contract back. He wasn't like offended by it or anything. He just yeah. went about his business. Yeah. I think that's important to note at that juncture in 2018. Yeah, and one of the things with Ward that I remember learning through this process and through it was with through conversations with John and other people was he is not someone who really acts through emotion. No. You know, it would never doesn't want to. It would never be why are you doing that, you know, yeah. it would not be no rash decisions of any kind. Yeah. yeah, and just even even a reaction to someone saying like, "Hey, I'm I'm kind of dancing yeah. with the Pistons right now, it's it's only going to be a business reaction. It's only going right. to be a pragmatic um, reaction in terms right. of, okay, what's my next play, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
wouldn't be pissed, wouldn't be offended, you know, because that that year's banquet, if you remember, with Ward, I think in attendance, if I remember correctly, I'm like 98% sure on that, was when John was like, this is our home forever. Sure. I'm Michigan's coach. Yeah. Forever, right. blah, 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 as long yeah. as they'll have me and yeah. said all these right. things where if I'm an athletic director, I'm like, woohoo. I, I got it. To- <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to. This yeah. is great. I got to go deal with the mess across the parking lot, right. you know. Um, and then only two months later to be told while we're, right. while, while giving him a raise that, yeah. wait a second, this, and, this might change qu- quickly. And it's also important to note that Ward... Uh, I believe at the time the impression that we both had of if he gets another offer, that's going to be it. I mm. don't want to speak for Ward Manual here, but everything I'd been told is that he was absolutely of this exact same assumption that if he ever gets another offer, there's oh, yeah. nothing we can do, guys. Absolutely. Like, we'll try, but he was of the in 2018. Mm-hmm. If he ever gets another one, that's it. Yeah. And he went back and told you know the people in power. That's the situation mm-hmm. as it is. Mm-hmm. So remember that, and right. you all remember that as we go forward here. But like, right, right. that's not something that just came out of left field. And the other factor at the time was there was all this stuff about, oh, he's trying to do it for money. It's a power play. It's this. It's it's that. He wasn't really interested. Yeah, Michigan's his love. Yeah. No, again, no. Right. None of that had anything to do with any of this. It was something that went into his head. And he wanted. He would have done it if he, mm-hmm. if he got that offer. And it was something that. You really couldn't shake, even though you thought, well, maybe he'll never get another one, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's that. So now we move into 2018-19. Of course, they have to replace all these guys. The seniors, the Muhammad and Duncan Robinson and, and Mo Wagner, of course, wasn't a senior, but he moves on. John's now operating on a $3.9 million And he's got his raise. Deal. Assistants got raises. Yeah. And they're cooking. And, you know, they're, they start out as hot as they do, but they also have a roster that has a talented freshman uh, who's... Older than most freshmen in Brasdakis. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Charles Matthews, who you know at the beginning of the year that Charles Matthews is probably... He gone. could have had a fifth year, but you knew at the beginning of the year he was gone. Beeline knew that it was going to be a challenge, I think, to keep Ignis for two years. I think he knew that going into the year. Uh, and then Jordan was... If they didn't know it... At the beginning of the year, at the at tip off, they knew it like probably a weekend, right? I mean, they they knew that all three, mm-hmm. that you know, as much as they probably didn't like it, they knew that they were not they were going to once again, whatever happens this year, you're gonna have to start over again. So yeah. they go into that year with this, and Jordan is the one as much as anybody that is the great example of when they recruited Brusdakis, they knew it was possible that he would leave early. I I, I think, think it was more. Going in like as he got to campus and things like that. I think when he had, when he originally started recruiting Iggy by the end of his recruitment, he was a pretty big. I don't think it 19 was right. Was I'm old, saying yeah. when they first started sure. watching him. All right, fair enough. I mean, remember the first time Iggy was on campus, <coughs> John yeah. did not offer him a scholarship. Right, looked him and his dad in the eye in the office and said, "We got to watch you more." Sure, you know, like he was not the surefire five-star. He was a good, he was a pretty good recruit no, yeah, and fair. all that. Um, but I think it was, yeah, and remember Jordan, when they recruited him, he was not, Well, that's he was a 150-pound sophomore in Milwaukee. Jordan, more than, than Brasdakis, um, was the example of mm-hmm. the player who 
Because Beeline always said, I mean, I think you know and your opinions of these things change, of course, as time goes on. But I would say by the end of Brosdakis' tenure in prep school, sure. Beeline probably had a pretty good idea yeah. that it was I'm not going to have this guy for four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm probably, probably going to be fortunate to have him for two. When they signed Jordan Poole, mm-hmm. even then, even after all the attrition and things and, and the NBA things had picked up and he's starting to get more used to it, when they signed Jordan Poole, I got to believe that John Beeline thought... Here's a guy now mm-hmm. I can bank in this program, mm-hmm. just like I did with Muhammad. I can bank him here, and then in four years he's going to be what we want, right? He's yeah. going to be a senior. He's going to be a guy who hangs in here. But then suddenly that changes, and whether he's ready or not, now all that's different again. And now, I mean, that's mm-hmm. there's a layer of frustration there that can't really be ignored. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... When it comes to recruiting and John and how he built this place, you know, it was always the, the type of guys that he recruited. We always talk about, you know, the academics and the character and, you know, he typically recruited two-parent households and things yeah. like that. Um, part of that, I always think, was so that if the kids wouldn't be making logical decisions and that they wouldn't, they weren't, just, yeah. they weren't coming from situations that demanded you to leave immediately because, you know, you got to support your mother or support your, right. your siblings or whatever situation that often comes up in basketball um, and recruiting in general, you know, like when there's money sitting out there, when you're recruiting guys who don't have yeah. to chase it immediately, you can maybe get a little comfort level of, all right, well, they're going to make the decision, you know, the right yeah. decisions. And that's, even with that, it was right. still just, you know, a rotating door in and out of here. You know, DJ Wilson's a guy. Yeah, that's like, a great example. Yeah. You see him as a freshman and he's just this deer in headlights falling all over the place. And then he comes in his sophomore year and wasn't that much better to start until right. flashes and then flashes and then two more flashes. And then, oh, see you later. He's a first round pick. And he's gone. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I feel like for all of John's, adjustments and forward thinking Mm -hmm. and his evolution of not only his playing style, but his coaching style. um, That was the thing that he never turned the corner on of taking out his, you know, emotion for lack of a better term for just resenting. And I don't want to say he's resenting the kids, but resenting the situation of like, I build this system and no one's going to understand it until they're in it for two or three years, and yeah. I can't get any good players to play for two or three years right. anymore. And so it's not fun to coach yeah. this complicated system when it's you're completely at the, start over when you're at the beginning yeah. every single time. Yeah. And that that I feel like is the pivot point that he never got to of being able to figure out the system that he coaches and being okay just redoing. And it's not like he had to be like Cal, where no. you literally. It's just a new team every year. You're not but, really running a system. But the problem is yeah. when it's your most talented guys. Every time. Every time. And it becomes something that I think he tried very hard to become comfortable with. I think he tried to be... Yeah, when it first became a thing, he was not comfortable with it. He was... Mm-hmm. Sometimes it seemed like he was outwardly angry about... I mean, you know, and he probably was. Yeah. But that would that would leak out a little bit more than it probably should have mm-hmm. uh, in those early days. But he, he, I think, tried to be more proactive with it and tried to be more understanding of it and tried to be this and tried to be that. And try to understand that everybody's got their own, you know, path to go on, and whether you think they're ready or not is really irrelevant in the situation. Right. Um, I do think he squared himself with that a lot. I think by the end he was 
comfortable with that. Whether I think they're ready or not doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I think he finally got to that yes. point. That he struggled with that pretty early, it seemed like, that I don't think this guy's ready to do this, and I'm I'm afraid he's making a huge mistake. Right. To where, at some point, it's... He's not ready to do this, mm-hmm. I don't think. Mm-hmm. But if he does, then more power to... I can't, I can't ask him to come back here. And so that's where it ends up getting. But at the same time, when it continues to just gut your team right. uh, to a point where everything has to start over every time, all over again, and you're coming off a situation where you had a good team, but it could have been even better if some of the other guys previously from them had stayed. Right. It could have been even better going forward if some one or two of these guys had stayed. Now it's happening all over again. We got to pause? We got to pause. Okay. All right, we're back. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> we may have another pause uh, sooner than later, but whatever. We're, we're fine. So <clears throat> Work beyond podcast. The 2018-19 <laughs> season, of course, is one where they have a good year. They have three just brutal losses to Michigan State that basically defines the season, and then they go into a year, and they're going into an offseason where he knows he's losing his three best players again <laughs> and going to have to fix everything again as he looks at other places that aren't losing their best players mm-hmm. again, right. and he's just... What are we doing? So there's two moments there that I can remember that stand out to me and will always stand out to me in terms of telling maybe his frustration with the situation, where his frustration was and where it wasn't. The third loss to Michigan State in the Big Ten Championship game at, in Chicago. Right. Uh, we've talked about this, the locker room that day. I mean, they were gutted. It was like they lost in the national title game. It was that bad. I can remember in the hallway, uh, BLN talking reporters after the game, and Matt McQuaid, Michigan State's senior shooting guard, made, you know, three or four just daggers in that game. Just at the end of the game. Just Total badass performance. Michigan would make a big shot, and he would come right back and just, you know, like, my God. And there's a couple times where Beeline's just throwing his hands in the air like, I don't know what to do now. You know, this is this is brutal. So we're in the hallway after the game, and he's kind of talking himself through uh, some answers, and people are, you know, talking about, how, you know, asking him why Jordan Poole can't figure it out and mm-hmm. why he's turning the ball over too much and, you know, maybe why, uh, you know, Ignis rushed some shots or whatever. Yeah. And then he just works himself into this, you could see it building. Yeah. And he's getting a little hot and he's just like, and it comes out and he's like, you know, and this and that. And then you watch Matt McQuaid bury these three shots and he's saying, and this is a senior who wouldn't have done that when he was a junior, wouldn't have made him when he was a sophomore or a freshman, mm-hmm. but he makes the shots because he's a senior and for really no other reason, right? Like, he's gone through the whole process all the way to the end, and now he's this guy who's playing above his head, mm-hmm. and he's doing these things that you have to have to be at this level in this game, regardless right. of how talented your roster is. And he just keeps talking about this. Right. Like, he's a senior, and it's because he's a senior, and that's what college basketball is yeah. and always has been and always will be. And if you don't have it, you got nothing. Right. And he's just and he's getting upset, basically, mm-hmm. talking about this. And it's not like... I hate Matt McQuay here at Michigan State. Right. It's like, I'm upset because I've coached here for 10 or 11 years, and I've had like four of those guys right. in my entire time because I never get them. And and I think he knew that in three or four days or whatever it was going to be or a couple weeks, all those three guys were going to go again, and they were going to be in yep. the same situation. Yep. And it was just like yep. – and it was this overspilling of just like right. – He's this, sitting there I, thinking – I had it with this. He's sitting there thinking, well, goddamn, what if I had Mo? As a yes. senior, right? Because he just left as a junior. And you had Muhammad the year before, and look what he was doing. Right, you know? right, yeah. right. Yeah, though that that team the previous year. Great was example of it. Duncan hitting yeah. daggers. Muhammad yeah. hitting daggers. That they would have never made as sophomores Absolutely. or juniors. That Big yeah. Ten tournament when they won 
those three games, they beat Purdue and Michigan State on back-to-back days with just Duncan and Muhammad right. and Mo just hitting <laughs> massive shots left and right. Well, like, dude, you can you can draw up the best plays. Yeah. But, like, it doesn't matter much if mm. unless you've got an NBA guy making it or, or an upperclassman making it. Yeah. And to try to exist in the middle constantly... It's really hard. You can't do it. I mean, really, and, really, and hard. that's one that always stood out as a moment that, like, okay, this is uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other part of that, of course, is after they declare, right? We're talking to him maybe that day or the next day or whatever. And right before he leaves the room, somebody asks him, you know, the old question about, you know, how do you fix this? <laughs> you know, because like it's May and or whatever or April, and you know. You've been prepared for it, but now you got to go fix your roster. And I remember him looking at us kind of, not jokingly, and being like, you all should see my schedule right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like, like I don't know dead stone yeah. serious. And it was, i got to go to Germany mm-hmm. for like a day and then come right back, you know, to do Franz Wagner, meet with him and his family, and then come right back and get, and get 30 other things going at a time of the year where it should be my time to reflect on what just happened and, right. and, and kind of spin forward. And he was just, the look on his face... Was like, this is this is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. This is you know not because like I'm 66 years old, but because this game is not sustainable doing right. it this way. It's right. not, and uh, and that was something that I think I always that stuck in my mind of, okay, like it's on the table now. If if something happened, like he could leave at any moment. Yeah, which leads you into the next part of this. You know when he get when he does in fact hit the offer, but you know I, I gotta I gotta wonder when the season ended this past season. Obviously, we didn't expect him to be gone, right? But what was your temperature read on where he was? Because a lot of folks thought, well, the game's dirty and that that's bothering him, which I yeah. don't think that you know. Well, like I said before, like I didn't I couldn't have imagined an NBA team taking another run. It was I just didn't see it happening. Yeah. Um, what was uh, yeah? I mean, his frustration was palpable, but his frustration is always palpable, and yeah. you know, in some of these situations. And um, at the same time, it's like, all right, well, they're going to be picked. They're preseason second or third, right? In even with losing these guys, they're going to be preseason mm-hmm. second or third in the Big Ten. They're going to get Franz Wagner. They've got three, three key players coming in. They got Jalen Wilson. Coming. They're just going to keep yeah. rolling. It's going to be just Michigan again. I mean, we can sit here and talk about you know. Him not being able to have seniors. Well, he yeah. had he had two all conference level did. seniors going into this year, um, and Isaiah Livers, who I think has that talent that if he could make a big step forward, he could join that. And he's an upperclassman. He's a guy who's going to probably make some big ass shots this year because mm-hmm. he's done it before. Um, yeah, I thought it was business as usual. You know, yeah. um, maybe grab a guy and as a grad transfer or something right. like that because he's kind of gradually. You know, gotten more a little bit. He was just gonna get back in the mud and do it again. Yeah, like that was just yeah. But was there any while being paid four million yeah. to do it? Like it's just not you know. Was there any digging ditches? He's done that done that before. Was there any? <laughs> what, what was your when you're thinking about? I mean, did you ever in your mind think about when it would end for him? Yeah. And when did you think that would be? Into his seventies. And what? How did you think that would look? Um. Like after, like final four time of last year, how did you think that would look? I would have, if you asked me then, I would have said into his seventies and when health becomes like a, he can't a question do it. mark, yeah. And he would have had to have 
force himself to not coach anymore because correct he had another health scare correct but he would have you thought finished that would be that would be my bet at the time yeah. yes finished his job at Michigan and then puttered around doing something else yeah, yeah. right again like again if you know <coughs> excluding the unforeseen which is yep. an NBA job offer then that's how I would have seen it right ending um, riding it out being the greatest coach in program history, making another Final Four, like mm. he's at his he was at his peak. He's at his peak the last right. two years exactly. And that's, so that's my question is proven commodity. It's easier to recruit the more you win. They're winning. They're producing pros. So yeah, while recruiting's a pain in the ass in today's landscape, it ain't like he's you know it's that yeah. big of a uphill climb. Like something that we overlook though is that his entire career has been that of a builder. Sure. And it is something he talked about a little bit the year before in that maybe I've gone as far as I'm going to go here. Right. But and I never saw him like going to, a, certainly, another, another college, college job, but not, not happening. Maybe um, I've gone as far as I'm going to go in college basketball. It's mm-hmm. kind of right. still yeah. lingering in my mind. The only other job, if you had asked me um, before all this went down, the only other job I would see him in, and someone actually suggested this to me, he was really close to him, would be finishing out his coaching career, and then... Where's that coming from? I have no idea. <laughs> um, and then finishing out his co- coaching career in his 70s, yeah. and then taking, like, a executive-level job in the league. As, like, a talent evaluator or something? kind of just a player personnel guy, yeah. or, like, you know, and you could help coaches. He'd be able to offer his ideas yeah. of, of offense to... A sure. coaching staff, things like that, and then you know, just ride out his, his yeah. days, do that as long as he wants to. You know, he's not. I couldn't imagine doing media. Couldn't imagine. No, him. he'd be done all that. Yeah. You know, he's not going to be one of these. Right. Retire and go be Patrick's assistant at whatever school he's at eventually, um, or you know, do the mm-hmm. like. I remember people would like suggest like he's going to retire one day and go be like a high school coach because he's so pure about the game. I'm like, yeah, he's pure about the game, but no, he's not going to do <laughs> high that. School. That's oh. ridiculous, <laughs> you know. Like, is this a movie? You know, I mean, like Calhoun's like a D three coach right now because he wants to just stay in coaching. But like, I just he wasn't going to do that. No, I, yeah. I, I can't see John doing something like that. Um, so yeah, that would have been my my guess. But now he gets this is a whole clean slate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all over again, and right. it just you know, I, I've always kind of felt that with John, age was nothing. You know, but a right. but a number. Not I apologize for the cliche, but like it's true. Yeah, it's he's not for him. It was true. It, just, it didn't matter. Yeah. It didn't matter. Like as long as his ticker's going yeah. and he's good, he's going to still outwork and out is a coach most people is a right. basketball coach right. more than anything else. And I feel like that's what I probably if I ever had a a, a final. What is this guy? Mm-hmm. He was a basketball coach more than he was. A person who was allegiant or like had an allegiance to a certain place or whatever. Yeah. He was just a a a piece of the game. He viewed himself as a piece of the game, and a game and a game and the game had a giant piece of him. Right. And he was always going to be involved in it somewhere or the other. But I always thought, similar to your thoughts, mm-hmm. his last job in basketball was not going to be at Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. It was not going to happen. And I don't know when that was going to happen, but it, there was no way. No way. Really, you know what I think would have been if the NBA never. Gave him an yeah. offer like yeah, this. Fair I, I think the uh, 
the most appropriate final chapter for him in coaching, I think, would have been to take on a more leading role in the NABC. Yeah. Be part of the, the solution, solution yeah. that the game so desperately needs. Be more outspoken. Because he never got no. there. He, he would say, yeah. you know, kind of... I'm disappointed in all of you. Just, yeah, he just exists <laughs> in that kind of gray area of like, I'm not going to be outspoken, I'm not going to take a lead, but I'm also, yeah. you know, not going to say nothing. But you know, I remember I wrote a column on him once where I'm like, of all the... Basketball's given so much to John, John's given so much to yeah. basketball, but what really needs to happen here is he needs to right. be at the forefront sure. of just calling bullshit on yeah. all of this and say, you know, you get caught, you're done. Yeah. You're out. Yeah. None of these show calls, you're done. Um, you know, be someone who's willing to say that. Yeah. Um, that would have been, I think, a good route. You know, if he right. say he had five more years of college coaching at Michigan, take on that role. Let right. that be part of your legacy. Now his legacy is this guy just turned a high school JV job into an NBA job. <laughs> That's his like. You know, you talk about him being a basketball coach. All-time. That is unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> a movie of some sorts right. uh, at some point. All right. Should probably be written there. But anyway, we're going to take a quick break here at that part uh, for the free portion of the show. And when we come back on the other side, the subscriber portion, uh, we're going to get more into the timeline of how how his departure happened, uh, fallout. In the departure terms of, conversation, I think, is one yeah, that was yeah, very yeah, inter- uh, interesting. And, and I think we'll, we'll have some things that maybe weren't necessarily written uh, in terms of how, the, how he left, how Ward Manuel went through the coaching search. Uh, how it wound up with Juwan Howard and where Michigan goes from there. So if you're not a subscriber, uh, I suggest you go do that uh, in any number of areas. You can subscribe mm-hmm. basically anywhere on uh, the Athletic app or site. Uh, please do that. Tell your friends. And while you're at it, go uh, rate this podcast on iTunes as well. Uh, so stay, stick with us. We'll be right back after this quick break uh, with more of this episode. Happy 